As the story is told, Jesus had attracted a large crowd at the edge of the sea. So large, in fact, he climbed into a boat to gain distance and perspective from the swelling throng. Matthew reports that from this vantage point, Jesus told one of his most famous and beloved parables, a wonderful story that's been allegorized to death over the centuries. A farmer scatters seed with generous, even wasteful abandon in a wide arc. Lousy soil, rocks, thorn weeds, and birds all prevent most of it from taking firm root. The moral is transparent. Most kids understand it at an early age. So I'll start my comments by asking a simple and obvious question. Which one of the outcomes most represents you? Taking Jesus' words at face value, are you good soil or bad? Considering that you're actually tuning into this message, maybe the question seems a little off point, but knowing myself as I do, while the answer might be, well, all things being equal, I'm pretty good soil, thank you, possibly the better answer might be, honestly, a lot of the time I'm quite hard and crusty, sorry to say. If we spoke frankly to one another, we'd have to admit that what we generally like to hear is confirmation of what we already think we know or believe. Most of the time, we're not hoping for some major corrective in our thinking or in our attitudes, our prejudices and predispositions, our understanding of our place in the world. We prefer to hear all of those things confirmed, and we'll actively seek out those persons and places that will do that for us. Frankly, we hold a pretty high opinion of our own opinions. One of the most documented findings in human dynamics is that the average person believes very flattering things about him or herself, beliefs that do not stand up to objective analysis. For example, numerous studies reveal that the general public thinks that they are more intelligent, more fair-minded, less prejudiced, and more skilled behind the wheel of a car, say, than the average person. A survey of one million high school seniors found that 70% thought they were above average in leadership ability, and only 2% thought they were below average. In terms of ability to get along with others, all students thought they were above average. 60% thought they were in the top 10%, and a full 25% thought they were in the top 1%. A survey of university professors found that 94% thought they were better at their jobs than their colleagues. These statistics simply document what we instinctively believe about ourselves. We like what we think, and we like ourselves for thinking it. So if we had taken a survey today of what sort of soil you thought you were, it would have been a pretty good bet to predict that the results would indicate a truckload of rich, loamy earth filling our virtual space. But then any given worship service seems to promote cross-purposes. We certainly want to celebrate a foundational faith we jointly affirm. We're sisters and brothers, siblings together, bound by a common faith. And in this, we long to hear God's reassuring voice about who we are, how worthy we are, how wonderful and loved we are, how valuable and correct our opinions. 
Yet my experience has been that on the rare occasion I realize God has just spoken, I'm shaken to my core. God's voice truly heard rearranges the foundation blocks of our lives. It reveals new and important information, often disrupting information, generally related to truth, capital T. And while this voice has loving intention, it may come as a great interruption to our normal way of understanding ourselves and the world. You mean, I'm not the brightest bulb in the room? Then again, much of the time, I don't hear the voice of God so profoundly. Truth is, I can be as impervious to it as the hard path upon which the seed fell, easily picked off by the circling birds. You know, when you think about it, there seemed a lot of waste on a typical Sunday morning pre-COVID. Think of the cost of running our location on Park Avenue. I can tell you, it costs a lot. Same is true of our location in Washington Heights. And yes, even now, in virtual world, there is an extravagant amount of time and energy backed by real dollars that creates this space we now inhabit. And there's no telling who shows up. And then there's such a lot of words, a lot of music, even organized silence, spent with little return in our short, expensive hour, given our predispositions to hear what we want to hear. It's like a great profligacy of seed scattered in a wide arc. True enough, all of us have a lot on our minds these days. We're cooped up, we're anxious, we're worrying about health and the economy, overwhelmed in homes and apartments, crammed with energized kids, not to mention all the stuff that was left hanging back in mid-March when we were all consigned to sheltering in place. But here we are, gathering on the beach, as it were, to check out the carpenter from Nazareth. The crowds came out to hear Jesus, but would it make any difference in the end? He said it depended upon what sort of soil his seed words fell on. Hard to tell, really. Hard to know where the good soil might be found. For any given person, I suppose, it might depend on the day. He knew the people who came to listen were very attached to what they thought they already knew about themselves and their world. Scatter the seed. That's about all he could do and hope for the best. Seems like a whole lot of waste in that. And by the end of his short and seemingly wasted life, what did he have to show for his efforts? Executed as a criminal at a young age? Probably could have been a decent carpenter if he put his mind to it. Found a nice spouse, have a number of kids, and been a credit to his village instead of an embarrassment if he had only stayed home. As it was, he managed 12, maybe 15, 20, couple of dozen hardcore followers after his short career, scattering seeds of what he referred to as the kingdom of God. But that seems the point then. From the farmer's perspective, the 
indiscriminate sowing is what allows for the harvest. Sure, on any given day, most of the seed doesn't land in promising terrain, but the little that does produces a remarkable result. And there, in this very small and transparent story, we see a snapshot of how God moves and works in the world among humans. God sows abundance in the midst of seeming scarcity. This is a very hopeful story, really. Hanging around church, one can sometimes get accustomed to what seems a modest result at any given moment. And, and ironically, don't we follow a man whose friends abandoned him at his moment of greatest need? Aren't they our forebears? Still, something of what Jesus said and lived, some fertile germ of understanding did take root. Something of who Jesus was landed on patches of fertile soil because here we are gathered 2,000 years later, even with all of our preoccupations and anxieties, when we might be spending our time otherwise in some favored distraction. You could be doing that instead of this. There's very great vulnerability to God's way in the world. God's words and wisdom are subject to all the adverse conditions found in hostile environments. Yet there seems a never-ending, indiscriminate sowing of God's truth and hope. Sometimes it lands, takes hold, and spreads deep roots because that seems built into how things have been made. Life and hope and love will have the day, finally. Given our current vulnerable circumstance, I'm thinking this lesson arrives as a, as a sweet serendipity. We're in the midst of a, of a great cultural disruption that has stripped us down to the nubs. And in this tender state, we're being exposed to new things, new important information at an accelerated pace. There is a great sowing of fresh seeds of truth today, which holds great promise if they land on good soil. Frederick Riley, executive director of Aspen Institute's Weave, the Social Fabric Project, observes that while we are being bombarded with the knowledge that communities of color are disproportionately ravaged by COVID-19 and also bending and breaking under the weight of decades of structural racism, we know that the health and economic toll of this period will cut a wide path across America, leaving vulnerable communities of all colors and stripes in its wake. At times like this, facing multiple perceived threats, our local communities and our country as a whole may struggle mightily to secure and strengthen our, quote, bonds of affection, unquote. It's natural, it's human to let fear divide us. It takes heart and courage to tap the deep waters that connect us. But if we can rise to this moment, if we can acknowledge that we are all vulnerable at this time, we have a nearly unprecedented opportunity to weave community in ways that leave us all stronger. It starts with committing to see our neighbors as ourselves. Well now, who does that sound like?
from out of my faith in the God of life, I call that seed planting. Are we paying attention to the truths that are flying at us at an unprecedented rate? Are we letting them land on loamy soil? Hard and crusty simply won't cut it today. There's too much to do. Hope beckons us into the future. Friends, as you live into the days ahead, when on the occasion you consciously wonder why you should bother to regularly put your faith into action in the small, seemingly inconsequential moments of the day, a conversation here, a decision there, standing for integrity in the middle of a very difficult adversity, promoting truth and justice in the public square, or simply offering a cup of water to a thirsty soul you would rather ignore. Remember that our God sows indiscriminately, showering fertile, rocky, and weed-infested soil alike with the blessings of the kingdom. If not for that, where would hope be found? As it is, the offspring of such a God can't help but follow the patterns of their spiritual DNA and sow the seeds of the kingdom with a generous, even wasteful abandon. Just like God, we're meant to share and live the good news of God's astonishing grace indiscriminately, as though we actually believed that this grace holds the essence of life energy and will opportunistically take root wherever it can. Why on earth would we withhold from anyone, anywhere, such an incredible gift? Generous is the name of our God. So too, by birthright, all of God's children carry that name as well.